Welcome back to Hitchcock Chronologically, the show where I, Jeff, go through every single one of Alfred Hitchcock's directorial movies and review them in the order they were made and released. I don't know about made, but released, certainly. Uh, So, I don't know how long this episode's gonna be, because I watched this movie in parts, because it early on, the early part of it was, like, tough to get through. So, I watched Secret Agent. Um, It came out in 1936, and it has a runtime. But no one seems to know what that runtime is. It's about an hour and a half. Let me find it. Yeah. So it's got a runtime of an hour and 26 minutes. One of the things that I was most looking forward to with this one was the return of Peter Lorre. Now, Peter Lorre was in The Man Who Knew Too Much from 1935. And he played one of the more compelling characters. He's the main villain, the main gangster bad guy. And he demanded serious screen presence. And he's one of those guys that has a unique look and that's a Hollywood way of saying he's an ugly man and but he is so ugly that it looks good on camera I guess well I was looking forward to seeing him again in this movie because he's back we also have another returning uh, actor from Hitchcock films that I will get into in a bit uh here's the problem Peter Laurie is a white man um he he is from Jewish descent I understood when I did some research in this movie He plays someone known as the General, but the General has a much longer name. So you might notice he has an accent and a name that I believe is Spanish. And they don't really say where the General is from in this movie. At one point, uh, the female lead says he's Mexican. So whatever. But regardless... He's got on makeup to darken his complexion. So we've dealt with blackface in the movie, The Ring. And uh, you can go back and listen to that. Um, I have Lakendra on who's able to speak to the cultural significance and, and, and moving forward with these movies that deal, you know, looking back through a window of time and seeing how racist things could be. And some people might say, hey, they didn't know any better. Okay. You know, I'm not arguing their intentions, but here is a role that could have been given to a minority that would have played the role more accurately, who actually has the descendant of the, who who descends in the same heritage as the main character. And instead of doing that, they cast a white guy and then put makeup on him to make him look like he's Hispanic and it's not good makeup. You can see that it ends around his jawline in many shots. Not that that matters at all or has anything to do with anything other than that. It casts a cloudy shadow over a role that I was looking forward to watching because I enjoyed Peter Laurie in the first movie he was in and his performance here is good he still steals the scenes he's in but i cannot ignore when he's on screen that he's playing a hispanic man that's what's in the movie i'm just going to leave it at that i i think that you could argue people didn't know but they had a chance i don't think i'll put it this way if Never mind. I, I don't I'm not an expert on this stuff. I need someone smarter than me. But 
watching it and seeing it in a movie I'm trying to enjoy and trying to come back to and reiterate to you what happened in the film and give you an opinion on whether I liked it or not, this is in the way from me doing that. It is severely distracting, not just from a visual point, but from a moral and a, uh, you know, I, I don't know the term, a, a social standpoint. But I will push through. I am not going to ignore that it's here. We've talked about it. So let's get into the plot. The opening scene is a funeral for a gentleman named Brody. Uh, everyone comes through, pays their respects. And as they all leave, there's one guy who's like operating the funeral and he goes to move the coffin on his own. You would think if there's a person in there, it'd be really heavy, but he moves it on his own and the top comes off and you see that it's empty. So there was a funeral for a man who was not actually in the coffin. We find out that Brody is still very much alive and he reports to a man named R. Uh, as in like, you know, the old James Bond movies, you know, the James Bond movies where uh, there's Q and R and M and everybody has a letter. This guy's name is R and he uh, gets Brody and essentially kills him off figuratively and casts him as to play a role of a spy cast him but he gets him to be a spy because there's someone who has intel on another spy that's going to be trying to cross into the uk from germany so i think this is world war ii and there's spies and or maybe it's set in world war one it's hard to say um because they don't really get into the context of the story but anyway when was World War II? Hey, Google, when was World War II? World War II lasted from September 1st, 1939 to September 2nd, 1945. So that settles it. This predates World War II. So now we can say it's World War I, which the Germans were part of. What's interesting about this, though, is Peter Lorre is a Jewish man, and I was reading on his IMDb, or not his IMDb, uh, his Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt, that he actually fled the area when Hitler came to power. Um, just an interesting fact, considering he's... I don't know where I'm going with that. But anyway, it was an interesting fact. So R sends Brody, giving him the new name of Ashenden, to uh, Germany, where he is going to pose as a man named Ashenden. He's been assigned a wife who is Mrs. Ashenden. She has another name, but they pretty much just refer to each other by these spy names throughout the film. So that's what I'm going to do. And we get introduced uh, before this to General. So here's General's first scene. Uh, keep in mind, uh, you, you're going to hear a little bit in the background that's bombs going off because we're in the middle of the war and uh, there's a bomb shelter they're heading down to to go meet General. Now bear in mind, if the Swiss police know what you're up to, they'll have you in the jug. But you are. Watch my step. Ah! Here, steady, steady, my girl. It's much safer down here than upstairs, you know. I'd rather be upstairs with a bomb than downstairs with some people. <laughs> oh, hello, General. I did you an injustice. I thought you came down here to dodge the bombs. But, Mr. R., you should know oh, me better. Uh, this is Ashenden. General Pompilio Montezuma della Brigade del Conde de Longu. Very pleased. Excuse me, I have some very important business. 
see you in Switzerland. Hello, dearie, sweetie. Just a moment. I love you. Lady Calais, not only ladies. So our introduction to this man is a woman who would rather be upstairs as opposed to in a bomb shelter while there's bombs going off. And here's what's annoying about this scene. It'd be one thing if that was the character development, this guy's sleazy and everything. But the other two, Ashton and R, are just laughing it up like, what a character he is. Ignoring the fact that this woman is screaming running away from this guy who's clearly harassing her. This is the kind of movie we're dealing with here. And this is the kind of thing I didn't think I'd have to get into doing this podcast. Like, I just thought I'd watch these old movies. Now, Grant, like the movies of his I've seen, Hitchcock, it's been, you know, Psycho, North by Northwest, Vertigo, Birds. Uh, there's been a couple others. And and again, I was younger and I didn't have the brain I have now and I didn't see any problems. But I don't remember. Well, I've seen Psycho a thousand times and I don't remember anything particularly problematic in that movie until the very end which was some of their terminology. But anyway, I, I didn't like, I didn't bank on the fact that I'd have to be dealing with racism and uh, white people playing minorities and uh, sexual assault being uh, normalized and found funny and hilarious and not portrayed in the way it should be. But here we are. And again, I'm just laying it out. That's it. It's on the table. That's what's in this movie. And like I said, Ashton gets assigned uh, a secret agent wife or secret agent who plays his wife. And when um, General meets her, he immediately goes right into sexual harassment mode again. Not only does he go into sexual harassment mode, but apparently he had been doing it beforehand because Mrs. Ashton says, uh, you know, that that was the case. And General asks, is this your wife? And he says, yes. But then Mr. Ashton infesses up. He says, actually, she's not really my wife. She's been assigned to me by R uh, to play my wife. And for some reason, this makes General irate. He starts trashing the hotel room they're in, literally pulling what looks like toilet paper and just throwing it everywhere, mashing things. He goes irate and then he tells Ashton and he's resigning because he hasn't been given a wife like uh, uh, Ashenin has. And Ashenin has to sit him down and explain to him, listen, man, it's just, she doesn't, he says some things that aren't nice and he says them in front of Mrs. Ashenin. General, perhaps you listen if you're quite finished. Brody was a bachelor, therefore Ashenin has to be a married man. It makes it much safer, that's all. This girl's been issued to me as part of my disguise. I resign. She's nothing to me, I tell you, and I'm nothing to her. Can't you understand? No, no, Iris. Oh, maybe, perhaps, his lie is true? Well, of course it's true. What do you mean? Oh, then in this case, maybe, maybe affections of beautiful lady are free for me? Completely free? Absolutely, as far as I'm concerned. Can't you do anything about this? Do I look as if I enjoy conjuring tricks? Yeah, 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 General. No lovemaking, no funny business. We can't afford to take risks. The Swiss police would be on us in no time. So, clearly, Mr. Ashenden has no chivalrousness in his body or anything. I don't know. He just lets this guy start, like, grabbing and fondling. His, like, the, the sexual harassment in this movie is real. And anyway, oh, boy. 
I should mention, I said earlier in the show that they went to Germany. Clearly, they went to Switzerland uh, based on the conversations that I've, I've shown you. Uh, anyway, uh, general gets Intel that the guy that has inform. Okay. So the whole thing is they've been sent over here to meet with a guy who has information on another guy who is information on who a spy is, I think. And it's like three degrees of separation. And so general has found out where to meet this guy. It's at this church and they go there and the whole time this organ is playing one note and it's just humming throughout the places they're walking around. They find the guy on the piano. He's dead. Someone's killed him. They don't know who it was. And they go back to the hotel. <sighs> Any while they're out doing that, Mrs. Ashton is flirting with some guy named Marvin and they end up at this ball. And so Mrs. Ashton, be, the, 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 because she's not actually married, is open to flirting with Mr. Marvin just fine. And they openly flirt in front of Mr. Ashenden, which is like a, a thing in these movies. They go to like a ball. And uh, one of the things they found at this scene of a crime where this gentleman's been murdered, the pianist or the organist, is a, is a, a wooden button off of someone's coat or something. So they go back to like this uh, party and at the party, there's a guy playing. Uh, well, actually, everybody kind of goes around the craps table or not craps, the roulette table, and they're all betting and, and it's fine. And they find a button that matches the button that they found in that church. And uh, there's a guy there that is wearing a shirt and a coat whose button matches that. And so now they know they've got the guy that supposedly killed the guy at the church. Wow, I'm good. I'm good at this. Now, this new character, is his name is uh, Mr. Caborn, and he is played uh, by Percy Marmont, who uh, played Gordon in the movie Young and Strange. He was the old dude who was kind of dating this girl that was married to the idiot. Uh, anyway, you probably don't remember, but he's back and he's great in this. He is super likable, uh, kind, you know, and not the kind of guy you would read as a spy. So in order to, they got, their mission is to kill this guy, right? And so in order to do that, they go, they basically go on a hiking trip and Gordon, not Gordon, you know what I mean? Caborn. Uh, Mr. Ashenden in general go on this hiking trip. And oh, during this, uh, Ashenden's morals start to to creep up and he starts to, dis despite the fact he's totally fine with sexual harassment, he's not okay with murdering this guy. Um, and so he gets cold feet and tells General he can't do it. General's like, well, you get out of here. I'm going to do it. And General kills this guy. Well, they get a note like a day later that they killed the wrong guy. Uh, so they killed an innocent man and there's actually this effective scene. So Caborn has a dog and you get introduced to the dog pretty early on uh, because Ashton accidentally steps on the dog's tail and that's how he meets Caborn. Uh, and uh, while General and Ashton are off murdering Caborn, Mrs. Caborn is with Mrs. Ashton and their dog starts freaking out for no reason, but they suddenly realize that the dog has some sort of spiritual connection with Caborn, and the dog has realized that his master has been killed. And it, it's actually kind of a tense scene. The Masters of Suspense is at work here uh, because uh, 
the dog really adds a level of suspense to a scene where no one else is actually present with this murder that's happening. Well, after killing the wrong guy, the Ashendons, Mr. and Mrs. are like, okay, we quit. We're not doing this anymore. Uh, we can, <laughs> their, their morals get in the way. All right. And so they quit. But the general is like, listen, I've got another hint. Uh, another clue as to who we're going after. So like this whole time, Mr. Mr. Ashton is like, Mrs. Ashton, let's get out of the game. Let's run away together. We quit. They even went so far as to write their resignation. And yet general has talked Mr. Ashton into doing one more mission. And uh, when this happens, Mrs. Ashton is like, okay, does a smart thing. She's like, this guy's never going to get out of the game. If he's not doing it after killing an innocent man, he's certainly not going to do it now. So instead of waiting around for him, she packs up her bags and gets ready to leave. We cut to the scene at like this warehouse and they, they find the guy they're looking for there. And the guy has a note on him that tells everyone who this secret spy is that the whole movie is, is based around the whole plot is to find this secret guy. And this secret guy happens to be Marvin. Remember the guy that she was flirting with at the beginning? Uh, and it so happens that Marvin and Mrs. Ashton meet in the lobby as she's checking out and they decide to run off together. Uh, they get on a train and, uh, they are pursued by general and at Mr. Ashton. This movie now, like there's a lot of airtime, like movie time, runtime between these scenes. And it tends to uh, slow down a lot. This was a tough movie to get through. I stopped and started it several times because I was so bored during like the early hour, like the first hour of this. As we get to the third act, it definitely picks up though. Marvin's on the train. He's not sure if Mrs. Ashton is a spy or not, or knows that he actually is a spy. He pulls a gun on her. Mayhem breaks loose. There's chasing up and down this train. It kind of reminded me of number 17, but just not as good. Uh, there is some good train model work here that I liked. I'm going to wrap this movie up because it wasn't good. Um, but the ending was spectacular in the sense that there was a lot going on. This train crashes and derails and there's great model work again as shrapnel starts to go everywhere, but you can tell they didn't get exactly what they wanted because they cut away from this shrapnel and this train exploding pretty quickly. And then we cut back and everyone's in the wreckage, but all of our main players are still alive. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ashenden, General and Mr. Marvin problem is Mr. Marvin has been crushed by some of the shrapnel. He's stuck. Essentially he's about to die. So general goes over to finish him off and he sits next to him and he just sits next to Marvin for a minute or so. And Marvin pulls out a gun and just shoots general. And he has this overdramatic death. It's so stupid. And, uh, then Marvin dies. And then we cut, back to R who's the leader of the spy gang and he gets a note from the Ashenden saying they quit and then the fading screenshot at the end is just the Ashendens together taking this you what you would see as like a couple's selfie on Facebook that's excision that's like the last shot of this movie I didn't like this movie for a number of reasons chief among them 
the brown face. I <laughs> come on. Uh, the uh, misogyny that not like misogyny in a movie. Like if you display something that is done, that is inappropriate. It needs to be portrayed as inappropriate. And that doesn't happen here. Uh, the misogyny, the brown face, which I know that in those days they didn't feel it was bad, but it was. And that's part of the problem with the movie. But the movie is also, if you take those parts out, the movie is just straight up boring for the bulk of it. And it'd be one thing if all of these things, these boring parts led to something climactic, but really you don't need all of that stuff. This movie could have been a half hour. And, and that's, again, these are the complaints that I have with a lot of these early movies is just, there's so much that doesn't need to be here and yet has found its way in the movie. So I don't like this one. Well, Peter Laurie, who, uh, again, played the general, will get a chance to redeem himself in another movie in the near future. And hopefully he is not. Anyway, our next movie is called Sabotage, and it came out in 1963, the same year as this movie. Uh, and, and we're actually there early on, like Hitchcock would just do movie after movie after movie like he'd have two like three to four movies a year and now we're starting to creep into this time where he does one movie uh or two movies a year so hopefully that means the quality gets a little better uh it won't take much to get better than this one this is the first one that's just not been enjoyable uh, since we got to number 17 like east of shanghai was was a bad movie uh murder wasn't great skin game was fine but number 17, Strauss, uh, uh, Waltzes of Vienna, The Man Who Knew Too Much, The 39 Steps, they were all fine. They were enjoyable movies. This is the first one in a little while that just wasn't good, wasn't worth watching. And uh, the next one's called Sabotage. Now, I got confused. I don't think I've seen this one because Hitchcock has another movie called Saboteur. And I can't remember if it was Sabotage or Saboteur was the one I saw. So that'll be interesting to see. Uh but anyway, hopefully you'll join me for that. If you want to reach out to me, you can email me at hitchcockchronologically at gmail.com. Also check out the link in the show notes for the Budget Arcade Discord. You can find me there. You can also listen to me every week on Budget Arcade. Find it in your favorite podcast app. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. Yeah.